We'll hear argument next in number 90-1056, Burson versus Freeman. Spectators are admonished not to talk while you're in the courtroom. The court remains in session. General Burson, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. This case presents a facial challenge to a Tennessee law which prohibits on election day campaigning within 100 feet to the entrance of the polling place. To put this distance into perspective, this courtroom is almost 100 feet wide. Now, the Tennessee Supreme Court suggested that 25 feet might meet constitutional muster. As measured from where I stand, 25 feet goes to the second row of the press section. It's the state's position that the decision of the Tennessee Supreme Court should be reversed and that the purposes served by this statute are of the highest import and the limitation imposed on protected speech is minimal. Each state should be permitted to fashion its election zone boundary in a manner tailored to its election day conditions as long as that zone reasonably serves the purposes which justify it. Laws similar to Tennessee's have been outstanding over this country for the past century. They have effectively served their purpose. How many states have such laws, and do most of them uh, provide for a 100-foot limit, or what? Forty-seven states have such laws. The distances run from 25 feet uh, to the maximum. Hawaii has 1,000 feet. Most of them range between 50 feet and 200 feet. 100 feet is uh, fairly typical. I think something like 17 to 18 of the states have 100 feet. General, when you say uh, the states have such laws, do you mean they have laws regulating conduct not only in the polling place itself, under the roof, uh, but laws regulating areas outside? Are there 47 that regulate outside the polling place? 47 regulate outside of the polling place. Three other states uh, have zero, uh, just the laws that regulate, but only in the polling place. That's only three states. General Burson, what are the, the purposes of those laws as you see them and in your state? Well, political campaigns are emotionally charged events, and I think we have to put it in, in, the, in the proper context. Uh, they may be, for those campaigners and candidates, the most emotionally charged events uh, in our national culture. On Election Day, all of this emotion, excitement, and tension is focused right on the polling place. Campaign workers aren't always cool and reasoned on Election Day. Polling places are in all kinds of neighborhoods, the peaceful and the rough. The entrances to polling places form a natural bottleneck. Now, if you allow campaigning at those bottlenecks, you're going to get crowds. Voters and campaign workers alike are going to intermingle. The sale pitches are going to go through the crowd and over the crowd. They will not always be softly spoken. In many situations, there'll be shouting, jostling, and tempers may flare. The effect of these conditions will be disorder, disruptive noise, reaching the polling place, delays in voting. 
These conditions elevate the chances for voter intimidation. Are there other state laws governing uh, interruption around the polls of of voters, voter intimidation and that sort of thing? Yes, Tennessee has uh, both uh, voter intimidation laws and voter interference laws. And it's our position that what the state has done and what the states have done is, through these zones, has created a prophylactic. Once there is intimidation, once there is interference, the purposes of the state have been defeated. They are basically after-the-fact type uh, remedies. General Burson, uh, don't some states also have other prohibitions, such as use of the media on Election Day? There have been... uh, I mean, television, for instance. Advertising on television. I'm I'm sorry, I I didn't understand, Mr. Justice Blackman. I'm under the impression, as a matter of fact, I know my home state has a statute prohibiting political advertising on Election Day in television. Does Tennessee have such they a law? They uh, so do. No, uh, our, uh, on Election Day, there's, uh, there's plenty of advertising on TV in Tennessee in the morning, particularly. I must confess that when I uh, came, we happened to live across the river in Virginia, that I was almost offended by the uh, presence of people handing out literature within 25 feet of the polling place. One would be put in the jug in Minnesota if he did that. Uh, well, let me, let me make this, except for, for a limited uh, situation, our, our, the primary concern is not just uh, the annoyance, although we think uh, at a certain point uh, that does become a constitutionally protectable interest by the state. But uh, what, what, we, what the states are concerned with is this crowding, the increased opportunity for the intimidation and for the interference. It creates a zone which, which re- much reduces the risk to have to apply uh, Justice O'Connor, those intimidation laws and the interference laws. Now, aside from that, aside from criminal intimidation and criminal interference, the crowd that gathers itself around the entrance to the polling place uh, can be intimidating. Voting cuts across all character types. Uh, all types of Americans go to vote. And what may not be intimidating to uh, a 30-year-old lawyer going to the polls may well intimidate uh, an elderly uh, citizen going or a first-time voter, and rather than choose to run the gauntlet, uh, they may well just choose to turn around and go home. And that defeats uh, the purposes of, of maximizing voter participation. Now, now, Tennessee's law does not prohibit uh, campaigning for a candidate in some other election, and it doesn't prohibit solicitation of commercial products and that sort of thing. Is that right? Uh, The latter part is right. The first part uh, is not right. Tennessee law prohibits uh, the distribution of campaign literature. Whether it's for that election or another. For that election or a future Mm -hmm. election. But but commercial products and so forth. There could be a Hare Krishna stand and so forth. Well, there could be a Hare Krishna stand or there could be a hot dog vendor. Mm -hmm. Uh, or selling tuna sandwiches. Uh, and, so is, so and in that respect, then, is the statute content neutral? Uh, we certainly would say that it is. When you look at... How, how do we judge content neutrality? By, by looking at the purpose for which the statute is passed? Well, I think you look to see whether the 
the regulation is only justified with reference to the content of the speech. And in this case, there is no sinister inference, uh, sinister as to the First Amendment that offends the First Amendment, as to why campaigning in Tennessee is, is prohibited but other types of activities aren't. The reason that the other activities aren't prohibited is they have just never been a problem in Tennessee. They just weren't thought of when the legislature did this. The legislature focused on election reform. And when it thought of election reform, it thought of the problems that, uh, that are created. Well, what about cases from this court, such as Kerry and Mosley, where the court has said that a state can't regulate some but not all potentially disruptive expression? Well, I think what, what this court, uh, in, in looking at Mosley and caring, what those are, where, where the, the legislature specifically exempted a labor of picketing, and what the court mm-hmm. seemed to say was, look, we can't see any difference between a labor picketing and another type of picketing. They'll both have the same type of effect. So what the court, it seems to me, concluded was that the statute was directed at, at, at a particular type of expression because of the content of that expression, and that's labor picketing. We just don't have this. Uh, I, I can't, the, the failure to include a hot dog vendor or a book salesman or a Hare Krishna booth uh, just has never been a problem in relation to elections. Well, our, is, our cases have said, too, haven't they, uh, General, that uh, the legislature can deal with the evil where it finds it. It doesn't have to go all the way if it doesn't find the evil going beyond a certain point. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that's absolutely correct. And if hot dog vendors become a problem. And if the Hare Krishna groups become a problem, then the legislature could, could legislate to guard these same interests. But that's, uh, that's exactly right. If they became a problem and this statute remained in the book, would there then be an argument that the statute is no longer content neutral? Well, certainly it would have been content neutral as passed uh, in, in, in terms of the motivation now to preserve it would would that uh, uh, mean that it would become con- uh, unconstitutional uh, at that point in time? I think at that point in time it would begin to raise a question as to whether this was intended actually to serve uh, those purposes. And I think that's what the court, that's the standard that the court uh, has to look at uh, in making that content-neutral determination. Does the statute serve the purposes uh, uh, which it says justified, or does the regulation serve those purposes, and are those uh, uh, purposes related to the content of the speech? And if you took your hypothetical far enough, you might begin to raise, the, uh, raise a question about what the real purpose of the statute was, but that doesn't exist here. General Burson, the, the, the regulation here would extend in some areas to public streets and public sidewalks? If the, there, there may be foot limit, is yes. That there true? may be a portion of a, uh, of a of a sidewalk that would be encompassed uh, in the in the hundred uh-huh. feet, and some of them may even uh, extend uh, into a street. Does that affect the constitutional analysis at all? Do you think where it's a traditional uh, public forum that's affected? We don't think that it affects the outcome. Uh, depending on how you interpret this election zone as a public forum or not, even where it crosses a traditional public forum, uh, you might have, you, we, if it's a public forum, we would suggest the time, place, or manner uh, restriction. We would accept, uh, express that uh, the court basically apply, apply the balancing test 
uh, that it applies in, when election laws are, are contested. And further, we think there's an argument, uh, Justice O'Connor, that, uh, that even where on this one day both, both private and public places are taken uh, over by the government, uh, taken control of and administered by the government for this one purpose, uh, that an argument could be fashioned uh, and is, is very credible, that even where it, uh, it hits a sidewalk, uh, that that, in fact, is a non-public forum. Suppose if, they, if the town can give a, a, a group a parade permit uh, that, in effect, preempts uh, ten blocks of a city street uh, that, other, that other people can't drive down in their cars, they can't occupy the place, uh, that part of the street is reserved for a specific purpose. Uh, and you're just suggesting, I suppose, that this part of the street is within 100 feet a reserve for for voting purposes. Yes, uh, I, I think uh, I think that is uh, one of the things we are suggesting. Just if you have a street fair, uh, where 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 the area, both the sidewalks and the street, are are roped off. And I suppose if uh, if this statute is uh, is uh, immediately suspect because of lack of content neutrality. Uh, I suppose a so would a statute that prevents electioneering inside the voting booth itself. And, and uh, no other act. Or within 25 feet. Oh, 25 feet, uh, Your Honor, we would suggest is purely a difference in degree and not in kind. And if 25 feet is okay, uh, 100 feet is okay. Well, Does the statute per permit 300-foot uh, limits in certain counties? No, the statute has a provision in it for 300-feet uh, limit. That is not operative. Uh, our office issued an opinion... Uh, basically based upon state constitutional grounds that said the population classifications as that 300-foot limit uh, were not rational, and under specific provision of our state constitution, it would not stand. Does your statute uh, permit uh, uh, official uh, poll watchers to within 100 feet? The statute actually uh, allows poll watchers Inside the polling place, it allows, I think, one per candidate and, and two for political party. Mm -hmm. But that's would, very closely, uh, closely regulated in terms of... Uh, would, would your argument allow uh, a state to, to uh, enact a statute designating certain traditional public forums, portions of sidewalks or public parks and so on, uh, as, uh, as sort of free zones solely for recreation or commerce? Uh, so long as they did not do so based on, uh, at least on the, the, the content of the speech that might otherwise be, uh, 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 that might otherwise take place there? Do you mean outside the context of the election? Yeah, zone? yeah. How broad, is your, how broad is your principle that the state may sort of uh, uh, eliminate the, the traditional public forum character of public forums? Well, I think there are uh, uh, laws that uh, do regulate... Uh, your use of, for instance, there's a law that requires you to get a permit. You could take, if you're going to have a, a 5,000 people at a public park or something, you have to take out a, a permit that's regulated, and you can then uh, cut that area off for those exclusive purposes. Well, how about my examples, uh, sort of communication-free zones where people can go and not be bothered uh, in otherwise public forums? Is, is the state on your, uh, on your theory free to do that? I would say that uh, our theory is that what we are expressing is limited to uh, these election zones. You have to look at the very fundamental interest and what the state's duty is uh, that would justify such a zone. And 
that's as far as we're going in this argument. Uh, what it, it appears to us uh, that the, the court, uh, the Tennessee Supreme Court, failed to address this issue in a real-world context. It basically took a the, the theoretical uh, proposition that because all subject matter was not included, that that per se triggered content-based. We've discussed that before, and we, we do not uh, uh, think that is uh, the, a, a proper approach. Uh, we think more inquiry needs to go beyond that to determine whether or not uh, uh, the purposes uh, are, are justified w without uh, reference to the content of the speech. But basically, they fail to consider this in a real-world context, and that's also revealed uh, in its failure to deal with the uh, substantive constitutional legal distinction. The concluding analysis of the Tennessee court uh, demonstrates this. The court suggested 25 feet might meet constitutional muster. It must be assumed, then, that the court recognized the state's constitutionally protectable interest outside the polling place. However, the alternative that the court suggested, 25 feet instead of 100 feet, um, is one of degree. Uh, such a difference doesn't have uh, a constitutional significance. It's not a true alternative in kind. If I might, the, the dissent in this case, uh, and uh, but if that argument is valid, I suppose it'd be okay to have a 3,000-foot uh, limit? I think that question, uh, Justice Stevens, goes to the one that uh, Justice Kennedy raised. The state would have to be able to show that the statute is, is, is fashioned to serve these legitimate purposes which justify it. There is a point that you could get out which brings into question the true purpose. And the Tennessee the Supreme Court said 100 feet is too much, but 25 feet isn't. Well, we, we Why is would, that any more a matter of degree than, than your argument about 3,000 feet against 100? Well, we would, argue, we would suggest that it is. Just like in Buckley, the difference between 2,000 feet and 1,000 feet was a difference in degree. I think the court can observe for itself 25 feet to the end of the press section and almost 100 across this is... The same, the same issues but the, are... One of the differences the court pointed out was that the evidence, as I remember, really related to what happened either in the polls or right outside the door, and uh, that if you go the full 100 feet, you pick up the sidewalk and so forth in some areas. Well, you know, th this was basically a facial challenge. The evidence, quite frankly, was, was very skimpy. Uh, I could draw as many hypotheticals whether 25 feet went onto a sidewalk or went, in, went into the street. Once you acknowledge, it's our position, once you acknowledge the interest outside the polling place, then it's, in the, it's the legislature, and there should be a presumption of constitutionality, who is in the best position through experience and the studies they're able to do to determine what that approach is. another thing I think they said, you didn't, there's no evidence of any studies here. Well, there, there was an, there was an extensive, uh, uh, there was an extensive uh, law review commission, although uh, they were fairly conclusive, conclusory in the results. We would we would point to the court's uh, uh, decision in Monroe, which suggests, and we think it's, it's perfectly fitting here, that the, the state in these type of cases shouldn't have to suffer the harm before it uh, addresses the problem and that the state, uh, to sustain these facial challenges, the state is not required to put on the specific proof of, uh, of, of the damage and the confusion and the overcrowding. Of course, I suppose the Tennessee Supreme Court has more knowledge about local conditions than we do. 
Well, we would suggest... I noticed also they relied in part on the Tennessee Constitution, didn't they? No, sir. It was, it was raised and then never mentioned again. The Constitution provision... They mentioned in raised, their opinion. Uh, it, right in the beginning, but this was solely decided upon uh, the First and Fourteenth Amendment and wh- the way the Tennessee Supreme Court construed the decisions of this court. Right, that's, that's correct. General Burson, what is the situation in Tennessee elections today? Is there a stay in effect at all? Well, I think that's very interesting, uh, Justice Blackman. After this decision, uh, there was nothing to prohibit this. There was an election coming up in November, and I think the decision came down in October. They struck this uh, statute down, and there was nothing to preclude this type of electioneering. The state that we went in and asked for a stay, the argument was raised that, well, there are these criminal statutes in effect that will take care of this problem, and the Supreme Court stayed its decision. Uh, So as of today... Uh, the, the law, uh, as they determine unconstitutional, is still outstanding in Tennessee. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Thank you. Very well, General Burson. Mr. Herbison, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, In order to understand why the opinion of the Supreme Court of Tennessee is correct, both in its result and in its reasoning, it is necessary to examine exactly how this statute, which is a criminal statute, affects free speech at polling places. The statute operates basically in three different geographic locations. The statute prohibits the solicitation of votes, display, or distribution of campaign literature or materials inside the polling place itself. That is not the subject of the plaintiff's challenge to this statute. Uh, The plaintiff has never averred any intention to solicit votes inside the polling place. Mr. Herbison, uh, would you think the same standard and test should be applied to regulations inside the polling place as outside? Yes, O'Connor. Inside the polling place, the state's interest is monumentally greater than outside. Inside the polling place, the election is actually being conducted. There is a much greater risk inside the polling place of of interference with the election official's duties or with interference with uh, the actual conduct of the election. So you think there's just a more compelling state interest inside? Is that it? That is correct. As the Supreme Court of Tennessee found... Otherwise, the test applied would be the same. It's just the value or weight you place on the state's interest in your analysis? It is the same test, and we submit that the court below reached the correct uh, conclusion that the state's interest is greater inside the inside building. Do you defend the court's uh, decision that uh, the regulation can extend to 25 feet, but not 100? Um, Well, clearly a 25-foot boundary would be more nearly constitutional than the 100- or 300-foot boundary. Currently in force. I beg your pardon? 75 feet more, or closer. So what's uh, your answer? However, we do, you we do not... The, the holding of the court, or We not? do not. If it were a regulation that, as this one does, singled out core political speech within that 25-foot radius, we submit that 
that hypothetical statute would suffer from the same defect as the current 100-foot or 300-foot boundary. Outside the polling place, um, a radius of 100 feet in most of the state, 300 feet in some counties, and, and that 300-foot boundary had not been addressed by any court, even though the Attorney General has given an opinion that, that that violates the state constitution. It is still in force and has not been addressed by any court, the distinction between 300 feet and 100 feet, in light of the disposition that the Tennessee Supreme Court made in this case, it was not necessary for them to reach that, even though it was raised in the pleadings. Within that, within that radius, uh, the solicitation of votes, uh, display or distribution of campaign materials or literature is outlawed. Uh, in cases where the grounds of the polling place extend beyond the 100-foot or 300-foot buffer zone, on the areas outside the buffer zone and still on the, the grounds of the polling place, uh, it would appear that purely verbal solicitation is permitted, but uh, the display of materials is still prohibited uh, on the grounds of polling places. Uh, the kinds of things forbidden by this statute extend to a campaign worker carrying a political sign, a voter wearing a T-shirt with the name of his preferred candidate going into the polling place uh, would risk criminal prosecution, a broad range of Pure political speech is prohibited by this statute, and the statute reaches only pure political speech, which this court has repeatedly recognized is deserving of the greatest level of First Amendment protection. Trying to convert each other. That would be correct. At least to the extent of any kind of solicitation of one of the other to vote his way. That would be prohibited. Would the statute prohibit a person from driving down a public street that was within the 100-foot limit with a bumper sticker on the car that uh, was in support of a candidate? This statute would prohibit that. That would clearly be the uh, display of campaign materials. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be a statute that wouldn't necessarily be void on its face just because of that. Not necessarily just because of that. However, singling out pure political speech and leaving other messages unaffected uh, presents clear First Amendment problems. Mr. You, you, you say it creates a First Amendment problem because you're relying on something called the traditional public forum doctrine. Don't you take the traditional public forum with the limitations that tradition imposes upon traditional public forums? Uh, Justice Scalia, in this case, we have a public forum property dedicated well, have properties dedicated to expressive activity by governmental fiat. Well, well. That but, is voting. But that's my point. Has it been dedicated uh, in, in, under the traditional public forum doctrine? Uh, as, uh, as General Burson pointed out, there, there are a lot of these statutes now, but not only are they, not, are they around now, the, uh, the earliest one I find goes back to 1875. And, and between, between 1889 and 1905, there are at least 22 states that had that had statutes like this, and another six that uh, that had statutes completely barring people within uh, w within a hundred feet. Uh, so, don't you take the traditional public forum doctrine the way you find it? 
And it seems to me that this has been, been done a long time. Well, Your Honor, this is, this we submit is the case of the public forum by government fiat. Uh, this court recognized United States versus classic that voting is expressive activity. It is the expression by electors of their choice of candidates. Well, maybe you want to give the doctrine a new name then. Uh, we, we should not call it the traditional public forum doctrine since we are not at all adverting to uh, what, uh, what tradition said about it. I mean, what I'm saying is this has been going on for at least a century, indeed for probably half a century longer, than there was even such a thing as the traditional public forum doctrine. We either have to rename the doctrine or, or come out against you in this case, I think. Well, whatever label this court chooses to affix is... <laughs> Non-traditional public forum doctrine. <laughs> of course, there, there is a, an element of the public forum doctrine uh, that addresses uh, properties which are public forum by governmental edict, which is, we submit, what we have here. Uh, voting is expressive activity. Discussion of candidates and qualification of candidates is an integral part of the electoral process. This court recognized such cases as Mills versus Alabama. Mr. Herbiston, uh, uh, to follow up on Justice Scalia's inquiry, uh, you say this, this, is, this area is dedicated to expressive activity, i.e. voting, but it's dedicated with the proviso that you can't electioneer within 20, or within 100 feet. I mean, you, you have to take the proviso as well as the dedication, don't you? Well, we submit the legislature is not empowered to impose that kind of restriction, singling out a, a particular type of, of speech. Uh, it's, it's clear that the legislature cannot prohibit discussion of candidates on election day, as was the case in Mills versus Alabama. There was dictum in that case. Uh, suggesting that conduct at polling places can be regulated, but that case stands for the proposition that uh, speech, especially pure political speech, is entitled to greater protection than communicative conduct. This is a case where we have pure speech restricted, and not even all political speech is uh, prohibited within this buffer zone, contrary to uh, General Burson's assertion. the state's witness clearly testified that political solicitations on behalf of candidates who are not on that day's ballot are permitted within the 100-foot boundary, pages 40, excuse me, pages 43 and 44 of the joint appendix. Uh, before this court is, is the first time that the attorney general has tried to put any distance between uh, the state's position and the state's witness's position. Uh, To illustrate the operation of the statute, uh, Tennessee holds presidential preference primaries in March and in August holds another primary election for various other offices, United States Senator, Governor, uh, United States House of Representatives, and some others. According to the testimony of the state's witness, Ms. Freeman could lawfully stand 10 feet away from the door of a polling place in August of 1992 advocate the re-election or defeat of President Bush, who is not on that day's ballot, but who would be on the November ballot three months later. However, if her message were re-elect Congressman Clement, 
then she would risk going to jail. The focus of the statute, the narrow focus on a particular political candidate, strongly suggests that the legislative intention was to suppress speech related to particular speech when interest in that particular message was at its peak. The statute also restricts, not only restricts the right of political campaign workers to speak, it restricts the right of voters to receive information. This court has recognized that First Amendment protects the right to receive information as well as the right to disseminate it. The Supreme Court of Tennessee correctly applied the strict scrutiny test, correctly found that this is clearly a content-based statute because it reaches uh, only one category of speech. The Attorney General takes the position that this is merely a, a time, place, and manner regulation. Mr. Herbison, suppose you have a, a, a municipal, municipally owned uh, uh, subway or, or, or trolley car line uh, which, uh, which carries advertising but decides not to carry political advertising just because it, it upsets people. They're, they're hassled enough on the way home from work and they don't have to look at uh, a partisan political posters, so they just ban political advertising to this captive audience because the people have to ride the, the, the subway or the trolley home. Is, is that constitutional? Well, certainly the, the Lehman decision suggests that it is. Suggests that it is because oh. it's sort of a captive audience, right? Well, and uh, isn't, it, isn't it sort of a captive audience when the only way you can get to the polling place is to run this, uh, this gauntlet of, uh, of electioneering? But I don't want to listen to electioneering. I mean, suppose I'm a citizen, say, I've, you know, I've read the papers, I've made up my mind, I don't want to be hassled by, uh, by these people. Well, now, you're free to hassle me, but I'm free not to be hassled in, in, in a coerced situation. Isn't that a reasonable basis for these statutes? Well, this court has recognized that the reaction of a listener to um, speech projected his way is not a valid basis for uh, limiting First Amendment rights. Uh, cases decided more recently than Lehman. Uh, with, with listeners in a captive situation? Where, well, a listener is to some extent in a captive situation here, but, but not to the same extent as Only if he Lehman. wants to vote. This, this is the kind of situation that presupposes a speaker and a willing listener. If, well, the purpose of the speaker being here is to persuade the voter to cast his vote in a particular manner, uh, where the voter clearly does not want to be bothered, the campaign worker will surely give that, that voter a wide berth, let him proceed on in the polling place. However, in the case of a willing listener who's willing to stand aside out of the flow of traffic and listen to the campaign worker's pitch, that's not a captive audience situation. Uh, human nature is going to... These, these, workers, these workers are not allowed to say they're just, just repeating, you know, vote for so-and-so, he's a fine man, he believes in family value. He's just, just shouting that, you know, at the top of his line. Could a worker do that under your theory? He could do that, couldn't he? Uh, 
He could he could do that. Right. So you say I have well, to plug, I have to plug my ears just just as the person coming home from work in the subway would just have to cover his eyes. Just don't look at the political poster if you don't want to look at it. But uh, I suggest that we haven't held that with respect to political posters in the subway. So why should we do it? Uh, why should we hold uh, hold that with respect to uh, political chance at the polling booth? In the case of the subway public transit, the, the government is is operating in essentially a proprietary capacity. In the case of a polling place, the, uh, the government, or at least the state government, makes only limited temporary use of the facilities. Uh, this, this is not the case like the like the subway car or, or like the, the post office where the government is, is operating in a proprietary capacity. The Attorney General contends that this is merely a time, manner, and place regulation. We submit that that is incorrect, but even if that contention were correct, even if the statute were content neutral, this statute prohibits a broad range of speech far more than is necessary to achieve the asserted justifications for the statute. Uh, even under the time, place, and manner test, this statute is not narrowly tailored to achieve the asserted ends. Uh, the government's only justification asserted before the trial court was the prospect of interference with the uh, voting process, overcrowding of the polling room itself, and there is really no proof, as the state court noted, to suggest that activity outside the polling place is going to have an adverse effect on the conduct of the election inside. Uh, therefore, no matter what the standard of review, either the strict scrutiny that the state court applied or the time, place, and manner regulation that the Attorney General contends for, this statute fails either test. We submit that the Supreme Court of Tennessee reached the correct result and applied the correct reasoning. If the court has no further question, that concludes my remark. Thank you, Mr. Herbison. General Burson, do you have a rebuttal? Very brief, I hope, uh, Your Honor. The question was raised about the uh, state's position regarding someone advocating uh, the election of someone th that was not on the ballot, and I think Justice O'Connor started with that question. On page 11 of uh, uh, Respondent's Brief, they, uh, they set the predicate for that up. They say the state's witness testified that a person is permitted to distribute handbills within the 100-foot boundary on behalf of a political figure who is not uh, standing for election on that day's uh, ballot. However, the record on page 43 of the appendix, the testimony was the question, okay, if a person were distributing handbills on behalf of a political figure who is not standing for election on that day, could that person do that inside the 100-foot boundary the unequivocal answer was no, they could not. So we would say the predicate for that uh, uh, position is not there. There was a further discussion. Could someone on the ballot just generally hand out uh, literature that said they had a good record? Uh, there was a suggestion, well, if, if they were on the ballot, they couldn't. Uh, if they weren't on the ballot, they could. But it is clear, a reading of the statute, it doesn't distinguish between whether it's on the ballot or not on the ballot. It's campaign activity. 
Tennessee Supreme Court has clearly defined campaign activity as that which is outcome determinative advocacy. It's the position, and clearly the position of the state, that uh, such conduct uh, would be prohibited. One other point, it's not just what goes on outside of the polling place, but also if you've got a crowd and you've got the noise and you've got the campaigning happening, taking place either right outside the polling place, which is what respondents advocate, or even within 25 feet, we would suggest, that noise is going to reach inside the polling place, and that noise in and of itself is going to distract polling officials. Let me just, on the, your correction on page 43, just, just because I have a point of information, there was also a question about distributing handbills that say abortion is murder. Uh, would that be permissible or not permissible? I think we would have to apply the standard. Is it outcome determinative advocacy? Obviously, if there were an abortion question on the ballot. No, the, the assumption was there was no abortion question on the ballot, but presumably some candidates might have views one way or the other on abortion. Just, just a, it's kind of, I guess, like the Hare Krishna person. Somebody's just saying, uh, this is not we're, really we're an, this against, is not a very improbable example. We're for or against the boy. It, no, but it really it, it just had to say they had a, uh, something uh, reduce the deficit or I'm against high taxes. Don't no more taxes. I think it's just a general statement that was not directed at an outcome uh, either for this or another election would be uh, permitted. You don't think that would be as as likely to provoke. Uh, Fisticuffs is, uh, well, you know, it, it might if it were happening, and if that became the case, uh, the state is empowered to uh, restrict that. Yeah, but this statute wouldn't restrict it. This statute, if it's not outcome determinative advocacy, this statute would not prohibit it. What about T-shirts and campaign buttons? T-shirts and campaign buttons uh, are restricted under this statute. And so we voter, just, voter, cannot, voter cannot wear a little campaign button going Voter in. is asked to take the campaign button as off as they go in. It's our position. Look... Buttons and, and, and T-shirts and hats and signs are all part of campaigning activity. They all implicate and invite the same problems. When you start a, a, a bumper sticker on a car driving by on the street that happens to fall within the 100-foot limit? You know, that, that is a, is, is, is a hypothetical. Covered by the statute. I, I would, we would suggest that uh, we would... If someone were to get arrested for that, you'd have to look at it on an as-applied basis. We don't think it There's no exception in the statute. To, no, there's to not, a, there's not an exception. Or in the, the car that parks in the parking lot within the 100-foot limit and has bumper stickers on it for candidates. Uh, that is not an exception uh, in the statute. Of course, uh, perhaps with good reason. I mean, some people, uh, you know, maybe in Chicago at least, somebody might intentionally drive... Uh, drive down the street with a bumper sticker on well, or intentionally park his car within 100 feet of the polling place. That might happen, it, might it? Exactly. And what you're looking at is, is it campaign activity? Are they doing this to advocate the candidacy within, within that zone? That's exactly what we're looking at. Certainly, there may well be uh, a due process problem in an as-applied situation or some other place as-applied, but it doesn't implicate this statute uh, uh, facially. If there are no further questions, thank you very much. Thank you, General Burson. The case is submitted.